welcome to the third edition of Behind the Helmet, where we're joined by Indy Lights driver Stingray Rob throughout the 2022 Indy Lights season as he pursues the championship. I'm your host, David Hoffman, and I'm joined by the driver of the number two for Andretti Autosport, Stingray Rob. Stingray, how you doing today? I'm doing good, David. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty well. So we have a lot to talk about between, you know, you being it, you know, being at the Indy 500 and obviously couple podiums uh, at the road course so I guess you know starting off we'll go with race number one where I'd say that was a pretty clean race overall compared to the the one the day after uh, you finished started six finished third uh, you know clean race Daniel Frost scored the victory from the pole uh, you know kind of describe that race and you know how that went yeah I mean race one there was pretty good I thought that uh, after qualifying we were going to have our work cut out for us it seemed like the other cars in front of us were just flat out faster. Um, I was struggling with the car and practicing qualifying. And I think that we made a good adjustment uh, to get the car more consistent for me uh, during the race run in race one. And we, we didn't really know where the car was going to land on balance. So we kind of guessed and it was pretty close. And uh, from there, I mean, I was just driving along behind the cars in front of me and there was guys making mistakes and I was there to pick up the pieces. So um, I feel very lucky and blessed to, to get a third. I mean, I was right behind Brabham when he and Peterson got together in turn one. And that was like a gift. It's like, oh man, thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you. And then again, I and mean, it was unfortunate that Christian, I mean, poor guy, he cannot catch a break this year. Um, but finding it out with Lundquist, it just looked like they were both pushing hard and both being aggressive and they got into it. So, I mean, both of those incidents just gave me a gift for positions. And then um, I mean, I thought we were quick enough to keep with the guys up front, but I mean, Frost, he did a good job of just staying consistent out front during the rest of the race. And then obviously race two, the, the one that was probably one of the crazier ones that I'm sure you've had in your career. Uh, well, well, first yeah. off, I guess you technically started fifth, right? Like that was your starting position, but then you yeah. ended up having to, what happened with like, you ended up going back to 13th at the start. What was that? Man, man, that start was so messy. I don't think I've ever seen a start green flag that was that messy. Um, Lundquist did this little dive to the inside move before he took off. And when he did that, other cars just went. And um, at that point, I think that the inside row just got checked up a little bit. And I, I got shuffled back pretty quickly. And pretty soon I was lifting on the straight to just avoid getting chopped and get my front wing taken off or anything. It was just survival at that point. And then getting down in turn one, I look in the mirror and there's one car left behind me. So at that point, I was pretty motivated to go forward just because it's like, man, this day is already ruined. I don't have anything to lose now. I can lose one spot, you know. So I just fight my way forward from there. And, you know, I think the first 12 laps were you know, in the dry and then rain and everything else came through. So then you guys had to wait till after the IndyCar race. Uh, what's that waiting period like? Uh, I don't know how often you've had to deal with something like that, but, you know, to come fresh out of the car and have to wait, watch another, you know, series compete and then come back through and, you know, have to try and reboot everything and try and make sure the year is ready to go. Yeah. I mean, I went from 13th to 8th in the dry. And I thought we had a really good car. And so when the, the red flag came out, I was so disappointed. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like we were going forward. We would have been fine. I was like, we could have got a top five, maybe fought our way forward, whatever. And then the rain came. And I mean, this is after IndyCar's mayhem of a race. That was like the most insane IndyCar race I've ever seen in my life. Like I think historically, 
that is one to go down to the record books because it was just insane. And Colton Herta, what a drive. I was going to say, could you have done the, the little oh Tokyo drift through there? That was, that was unbelievable. I watched this whole onboard after the race and I'm like, that kid was wheeling oh. it, absolutely wheeling it. So huge props to him. I mean, the IndyCar race was entertaining. Um, so I was actually, I was on the pit stand watching that for, on Grosjean's stand um, before I went back to our trailer and they're like, hey, we're going to go green in 30 minutes. I'm like, oh shoot. Okay. I thought we were like done for the day. So that waiting period, just, it seemed like it lasted too long, but we were able to get back in the cars and it's kind of weird. I mean, it's like having a double header weekend in one day. So it's like a triple header almost, but not, you know, <laughs> so it was definitely interesting to fight, fight the weather and then get back in the car and feel like you have to start all over again. Um, but I mean, I'm happy for it. The rain worked out well for us. <laughs> I was going to say with the rain, uh, you know, I know a lot of the IndyCar guys were complaining about just the aero screen itself really having visibility problems. And I know it's a yeah. little bit different on, you know, in the Indy Lights car. Did that give you any issues as like, you know, when he got out there again? Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't see for the first five laps going down into turn one on the restart. Um, I mean, I was like guessing where I was. There's actually a big, I think uh, it's like a speedway sign on the inside of turn one. And I was just watching that and I'm like, okay, I'm going to break when I get next to that sign. And I don't know where, where the turn is after that. I just know I'm getting close. And so I was just picking landmarks that were, you know, a hundred feet in the air trying to figure out which way was up. But um, like I said, that first five laps of the race was, it's like you threw a white curtain over your head and you're trying to walk around. You're just going to run into so many walls, but pray that no one spins out in front of you. And yeah, luckily that worked out and, I mean, to go from 13th to third, I'd say that's as good of a performance you could possibly have besides winning the race. But, you know, how yeah. did that feel just to, you know, know that you have that kind of, you know, team behind you that can give you that kind of car that, you know, is going to go wherever you want it to. And, you know, you know, you're going to be successful. Yeah, no, I feel super confident with the team where we're at right now. Um, my engineer and I are communicating well. And I think that showed during race one, just because we, we didn't have the car to compete really in qualifying and, I, I wasn't, I, I felt confident in it, but my engineer's like, nah, I know I can do better. So it was cool that he was able to, to adapt the car to what I needed and what I wanted. And then, you know, make adjustments from there for race two. And I thought we had a really good race car in race two and then wet and dry both. Um, but yeah, that rain race, it was another one of those things where it's just like, you're picking up the pieces as people leave them on the track. So I was super glad that we could finish and I mean, that was pretty much it. I actually didn't know that I finished third when I crossed the start and finish line. I, I crossed and uh, I got on the radio. I'm like, good job, guys. I thought we were like fourth or fifth because I was just picking off one car in front of me. That's all I could tell because the curtain of water over everyone just blinded me. And so I was just seeing one, one red light at a time. And that's what I was going for. Um, but when we got into pits, I only saw two cars in pit lane in front of me. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so I was so excited. And no, it was pretty cool to get two thirds on the weekend. But like you said, it's the only way to top that is to get a win. So hopefully that's coming up soon. I know you mentioned before in a previous episode how really precious points are. And, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, winning a race, I mean, my goodness, uh, Lundquist, he's a little bit out there in points, but obviously having two <laughs> wins will do that. Uh, I guess going into Detroit then, you know, what are, what are the expectations knowing that's a very tight technical street course where passing can be at a premium? I think qualifying is going to be everything. Um, and I don't know if you've seen yet, but the qualifying schedule for this weekend will be a little bit different than normal because it is a double header. Um, we are going to have to qualify twice. And mm -hmm. so instead of doing one 30 minute session, we're doing two 12 minute sessions um, back to back. 
And it's just to allow time for yellow flags or anything else. And that way you get like true qualifying runs in um, because otherwise like we'll have the same scenario at Indy. The, we, we put two new sets of tires on and the first set's pretty much just a throwaway. Like it's not getting you anywhere. Um, and so to get your first and second fast laps in, you just really have to focus on that second set and being consistent on it. So it'll be a little bit better of a setup, I think, because it'll be based on actual raw speed in case like lap traffic comes and you don't get that second lap. Um, it's just more, more forgiving, I think, to have the two sessions. That will definitely help. And I guess, is this going to be your what, third and fourth time at Detroit then? Cause I know you ran yeah. there last year. Okay. Um, yeah. how would you describe that circuit? Cause I know a lot of guys have talked about how it's really bumpy, really just, you know, unforgiving. Yeah. No, it's exactly that. It's super bumpy. It's super unforgiving. And I think that this year it'll be a little bit cooler than it was last year. So it should have a little bit more of a, a balance there. Um, but last year during the heat of the weekend, I mean, it's like 90 degrees out. Sun's just raking the track temp up. Um, and when it gets like that, it's brutal. And especially um, like during the fountain section there, you're, you're trying to balance the car, right? Like you, there's no real brake zone um, through the fountain turn. And so you're just trying to like keep the balance of the car in check. You're, you're keeping it platform, throttle on, throttle off, and just trying to steer the car enough and then really just grip the wheel going to the hairpin. And when you do that in the hot, high temps, your hands just start to blister and get tired and you're exhausted and you're getting the brain fade and everything else. And so I'm, I'm happy that it's not going to be that way this year. I think it'll allow for better racing. And that's not to say that it wasn't good racing last year. I think that Detroit races pretty well. And depending on how tight the field is, I guess we'll see how it goes. I was going to say with how does, at least for a street circuit, how does that vary with, um, you know, with the heat and like, I guess with track temperature, does it get slicker like a typical racetrack does, or just a little bit different because of it being on like a street circuit? I think it is a little bit different. Um, Detroit is mostly like a light concrete. And so it doesn't get as affected with the track temp as say like Indianapolis, because Indy, they just did the new sealer, right? So that, that track surface is like a super dark black. And so it, it, it absorbs heat a lot more than it would at like a lighter surface track like Detroit. And so I think it's more consistent through the day, but I mean, aero is gonna change no matter what you do. Air density matters so much in a race car, especially um, in high downforce formula cars and maybe less on a street course than it would on a road course. Um, but you're definitely gonna see through the weekend, just like rubber getting laid down and lap times dropping every lap. I mean, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that we're just going to keep getting faster and faster and faster. Hopefully that uh, faster pace will end up getting you guys one step closer to, you know, P2, P1. You know, I feel like it's been it's been right there. You know, like I feel like it's going to be here soon. Um, you know, we can only hope and pray for that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If we're knocking on the door. We just need someone to open it for us. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so obviously, what was I going to say? Um you know, you were at Indy for Indy 500. Uh, what was that experience like? What did you, you know, what did you end up doing? How long were you there? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I was there for the weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and got to go to the carb day. I got to be on the, the timing stand for the practice on uh, Rossi's stand and just listen to everything that's going on. I mean, I'm just there to learn as much as I can. The game changes so much in the Indy 500 just because it's so technical and so many things are happening so quickly and you're just dancing on a knife edge. And so I think that it's a lot more precise than things that are being said and the way the engineering is being handled and the way the drivers have to drive. And it's just, everything has to be so perfect. And that's just even to survive. I mean, not even to win. The win is like, you need to have perfection and some. Um, 
so like definitely it was super cool to be on the timing stand and then um saturday night we got to go to the andretti party and holy cow like What's i have a mind car, like the silver looking indie car it's like... a it's a disco indie car man they hang it from the ceiling and let it spin um and it's like the whole party was at that level it's like Cirque du Soleil acts going on in there and um bars set up all over the place they even had like gambling tables the theme was old vegas and oh, so okay. i actually i had like a blue uh shiny velvet suit jacket that i wore so i could oh, like boy. stand out yeah i was trying to fit into the the theme there so it was pretty fun it was a really cool event and i mean it's nice that it's like racing theme too like i haven't been to a party that's that legit that's mm. racing thing. I mean, come on, like the indie cars hanging from the ceiling. It doesn't get much better than that. So that, that was house. super awesome. Exactly. Yeah. I want that in my house on the wall. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got to meet and greet a lot of people there. Lots of guys that I don't think I would have had the chance to do that with. And um, I mean, obviously any chance I can rub elbows with the indie car guys is pretty cool. Oh yeah. So standing around next to them was pretty fun. And then Sunday, I uh, just got there early in the morning, but this year's event was unbelievable. It seemed like there were so many more people. Um, my first Indy car, or sorry, Indy 500 was last year. Yeah. And so I got to feel the partial capacity, but this year it seemed like it was tenfold. Like there was so many people, it was packed. And it was actually kind of nice too, because I got um, to be down on the timing stand for Devlin DeFrancesco okay. um, for a good portion of the race. And so I was getting to hear everything live of what was being said in the car and I don't know if you got to see it, but he had a moment that was absolutely insane in turn one. And we could see the steering traces on the data and everything else. So I don't know. That was super cool. I thought the race was really, really well done. Um, not as many pit lane incidents as we've had in the past, which was nice. And I think it was just good racing overall. Marcus drove a great race. I think that he sat in the right spot, saved his fuel, ran the right speeds. He was a sleeper the whole entire time. I mean, I didn't even realize he was there until the last 50 laps of the race. Yeah, it really seemed like he, you know, like, I feel like a lot of times in any race that, you know, he's won, he's kind of been, he's been lurking, but then you don't think about it until, oh, mm -hmm. he's leading this thing, you know, but, yeah. you know, and then I, I didn't, I didn't get to see the DeFrancesco thing, but um, it just seemed like there's so much more, I don't know, like, I felt like the restarts were more frantic in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, no, I agree. You know, I just. You know, I, I talked to, what was it, I think it was Ferrucci a couple hours ago about that and just the fact that, like, it just seemed like, you know, a lot of the guys, especially around the paddock, have kind of figured out, like, all the crews, all the teams have kind of figured out, you know, the DW12, but, you know, just a little bit more of how to, you know, I guess, like, you know, not critique, but, like, fine-tune it in a way where mm -hmm. you can get the most out of the passing. And, you know, I mean, who knows when the, you know, when, that chassis end up going away but it just seems like they're really starting to kind of turn a corner and figure out like get a little bit more speed out of it get a little bit more just like yeah. you know umph out of the car in general yeah i think that's because of aero screen though i think that they had it figured out a lot of teams did and then now they kind of had to start over with the aero screen putting put on the on the car and i think i mean at the speedway that's even more of an of a factor just because it's a higher roll center it's a higher uh, weight it's more drag or whatever it, it, it's just it, it changes so many different factors in the car um and who knows what that all does you know in passing and saving fuel and whatever else and i think that the the teams are starting to figure it out now um so maybe that'll carry over to the next car maybe it won't uh we'll see but yeah no i think it was a really good race and like you said the restarts were crazy and i, I think that just speaks to the fact of how tight the field is in IndyCar like mm -hmm. there's so many good drivers out there 
it's like even going top to bottom, like the, the night before, and I was looking at it, you're like, there's at least 20 guys that I could say he could possibly win it, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it, which is exciting to think about because this, mm-hmm. the talent is just oozing out of like the pot per se. And, you know, like just to see that and like to have like so many different guys, you're like, okay, he could win. Or, you know, it's like, it was just cool to, you know, see everything kind of, you know, pan out the way it did. Yeah. Well, and it's cool to see too, because there's so many different strategies. Like, for example, I, I got to be behind the scenes with Rossi a little bit and he had to build the car to stay where he was, you know, like kind of running the pack that he was running in. And that's way different than you set up a car to run in the top 10 where you're in clean air. Um, and so it was kind of interesting to see like as cars move forward or fell back, how they could hold on or not. And then, you know, saving the fuel and just like, there's so many different things that go into the 500. It's such a, a details race, yeah. right? So I thought it was really awesome to watch. It really was, uh, you know, so obviously I know we, your, we normally do the uh, three random question generator, but I thought I had a couple questions that I had thought of on my own. So it's a David question generator in a way. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds good. All right. So first one, if you could choose one track to be on the Indy light schedule, what would it be and why any track in the world, <clears throat> any track in the world? Oh my goodness. That's um, a lot. <laughs> That is a lot. Uh, I think the lights car does well on less bumpy surfaces. Um, so I'm trying to think. Man, I really wish Watkins Glen was still on the schedule. Thank you. Yes. I, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I, I I haven't driven there in a lights car, and I don't know what it's like. I haven't been there in a long time, but I just think that track is so amazing. Yeah. It's so good um but anywhere in the world i mean that there's so many choices i don't know which one i would choose <laughs> and on yeah watkins Glen, like i'm kind of partial to it because i've been there a lot of times but you know like just yeah. just the fact that it's as high speed i mean i feel like indycar when they were last there they were going 180 190 going barreling yeah. down to the bus stop or like it's yeah. just such a speed centered racetrack you know that just happens to be a road course you know and mm-hmm. I, yeah, I feel like just being able to rip around through the S's, everything else would probably be a thrill out of magic. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, so I, I really like walking fun. I think it'd be cool if it came back. But, I mean, other than that, I think it would be cool to do, like, uh, maybe Surfer's Paradise or mm-hmm. Mount Panorama or something like that. You know, something just kind of crazy and off the wall and that you wouldn't really get to race a Formula car on very often. I think, what is it, IndyCar, like, they are at least some – I forget what track it is in Argentina. I saw like could possibly they're like wanting to have oh, a really? race in there. I forget what track that was, but that'd be interesting. You know, maybe that go over, be. go over there. But um, you know, best race day food and then worst race day food. Ooh, uh, well, okay. So one of my favorite things to eat before race day is salmon. Um, just like a little salmon and rice. It's it's like high in protein. It's got good fats. It's light on the stomach. Like it doesn't feel like you're, Way you know, down. exactly. Um, and I just really like salmon. So that is probably my favorite race day food. Um, worst race day food is probably like Taco Bell or <laughs> anything like that, where it's super greasy and you just feel sick. Cause you you get hot and sweaty in the car. You're, you're working hard and like anything that just doesn't sit well with heat. It, I mean, it, it's just magnified in the car. I was just going to say like, you ran cross country, didn't you? Right. I did. Yeah. Did you? Did your were your coaches ever like um, really into day before the race 
Yeah, yep, we did meat, the big spaghetti carb, feed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I've heard like I don't know one coach is like, oh, that's terrible for you. Well, it, it tastes really good. That's for sure. That's yeah. all I you know. Yeah, I don't know if it it actually helps your performance, but I enjoyed them. It's actually yeah. funny. So I I say Taco Bell because when I was running cross country, I I started like partway through the season. The only reason I ran was because uh, my marketing and econ teacher was the cross country coach. He's like, hey, we're not going to make it to districts unless we have another guy to run. So do you want to run? And I was like, no, nah, not really. And I think he actually gave me extra credit on one of my assignments to come out and at least try it. And so I was like, all right, I'll come out and try it. So I ran and I, uh, for my first cross country race, we had what was called Pirate Fridays. And so it was like a long lunch um, on a Friday and we went to Taco Bell. And so like go to Taco Bell, eat, get on the bus, go to the meet. And I'm like halfway through the run. I'm like, oh, oh. Well, like trying not to get rid of this Taco Bell out in the middle of a run. So that was like the worst experience I've ever had in my life. And I actually ran like my best time of the year, even though it was my first meet, it was like, I was motivated to finish because I was feeling so sick and just so miserable. I was just like, I got to finish this faster. So it was pretty good, but yeah, not the best pre-race meal. I feel yeah, it's funny. I had like a similar thing. I think I'd like I had bronchitis the one the one oh, race yeah. like it was like a rainy day. I'm, you know, just it's one of my better times. And you know, like afterwards, <laughs> I find out you had bronchitis. I'm like, what? It's <laughs> how? Yeah. I guess yeah. it might be that kind of like you know mental like I just want to get this done. I don't care. You know that kind of thing. But yeah, who knows? like you're past the point of pain. It's just so miserable. You're like, I don't even care at this yep. point. I'm going to keep running and get it done as fast as possible. Exactly. <laughs> So if you could race in any throwback livery inspired, you know, inspired Ooh. livery on your car, what would it be? You know, I was actually just talking about this the other day because I think the 500 should have, or not the 500, maybe like the second GP weekend should yeah. have a throwback livery for every car. Um, I think like the old Pensy cars with like the chrome on them looks mm-hmm. sick. Yep. Um, oh man, I, I think there's so many good ones. <laughs> That's probably the one I'd roll with though. So. The old Penske Chrome, yeah. Those are nice. I'd say, ooh, I mean, this is probably my first Indy car I had was a Dario Franchini oh, yeah. Target there Chicken car. So I don't know. Just seeing the the targets on the you know on like the side pods, I think those are always yeah. really cool and a definitive look. So you knew, oh, they're gonna be out to, you know, yeah. win Indy <laughs> three times. Yeah. To, you know. And actually, the the one that's right behind you, I think that's Mario, isn't it? The number oh, two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty simple and plain, but I still yep. love it. It's so cool. And just like the way it's like, I think it was like at the IMS Museum last year or something like that. And the way that just the, the red slash orange pops, you're like, yeah, that's going to yeah. look good in the sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And final one if IndyCar didn't exist, so you couldn't go through the road to Indy program, <laughs> what form of motorsport would you choose to have a career in? Can I say Formula Car Racing or is that? skipping it skipping that one too skipping that one too um no open wheel racing essentially no open man what else is there (laughs) (laughs) um i tried everything in 2016 so i are just about everything i did um dirt modified cars i did go-karts i did corvettes i did open wheel um and i did a little bit of nascar racing and i think that for me i think rally cross or rally car racing or off-road racing of some sort would be an absolute blast just because it's raw like that's just you're given everything every every turn and you don't know what's around the next one um and i think it'd just be super fun to have that kind of car handling and car control 
you know, out in the middle of a desert somewhere. So, yeah. I say rallycross seems like, I feel like that's a really underappreciated motorsport in general, just because, you know, like you can tell that they're flying through there, like going up through the gears and like, they're always on it. And like, there's no, I guess, rest time, you know, let's say like a, a stock car type of thing where, mm -hmm. you, you know, like it just seems like it's just, yeah, like you mentioned that raw ability of having to whip it around and make sure you're as, you know, precise as possible. Yeah. One of my racing inspirations was Travis Pastrana growing up. And like, he is one of the ones that inspired me to get a go-kart, but like more recently in the last few years, I've been watching his Subaru onboard videos from rally car races. And I mean, you know, it's, it's like a doctor, right? Like if a doctor is working on someone in surgery and says, whoops, it's like, that's not good. Yeah. And when Travis Pastrana is doing that and saying, oh shoot, oh shoot, oh shoot. <laughs> you're like, that's really not good because it's Travis Pastrana. Like this guy will do a triple backflip on a dirt bike, no problem. And not be saying that kind of a thing but when he steps into a rally car and has that kind of a moment i think that that's just so cool like you know that that's on the limit you're pushing everything to the max i was gonna say he's he's always been one of those guys that you're like you you knew he was gonna whatever he was in even if it was nascar like which didn't yeah. go as well as i'm sure he hoped it would but you know that dude's insane he's definitely someone racing wise that you know you'd want to look up to with just how just open he is with anything yeah yeah he's definitely a versatile driver for sure well, that unfortunately is all the time we do have for today. It's been really jam-packed to say the least. Uh, you know, look out for the next episode of Behind the Helmet here soon. Uh, you know, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. You can follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Behind Catch. And uh, where can we follow you? Well, it's pretty easy to find me. I'm at Stinger Rob on most social medias. And if it's not at Stinger Rob, I think it's at Sting underscore Ray underscore Rob. So there you go. Well, that's perfect. Uh, you know, thank you guys for uh, tuning in again, and uh, we'll see you next time.